Good morning, everyone. As Rod said, my name's Tom, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. We're going to be uh, back in Nehemiah today, as Rod said. And uh, just to recap for you the story so far, this is week three. Uh, Nehemiah is one of many thousands of people who have been exiled from uh, Israel or Judah, as it was mostly known then. Uh, the nation of Israel had been overtaken by other nations. They, had, uh, they were supposed to be the nation that other nations were to look at and see that God was real, that he was the true God. And, uh, and for years that was the case. They were honoring God. But actually, they started to turn to idols, to turn to false gods, to disobey God's ways. And God sent prophets to them to warn them, to uh, call them to come back to him. And God warned them that actually they did not, that their, their nation would be overtaken by other nations. And that is what happened. And uh, Nehemiah and many thousands of others are taken into exile into other nations. And he finds himself in, in a fairly good job. He's cupbearer to the king of Persia, one of the most powerful men in the world at the time. And he gets to test the drinks that, is, that are given to the king of Persia to see if they're uh, poisonous, which probably doesn't sound like the best job in some respects, but it also gave him a lot of uh, influence with the king. It gave him the ear of the king. And as we heard last week from Tommy in his excellent message, which I caught up on in the week, and you need to listen to it if you haven't done already, um, we heard that Nehemiah was granted favor before the king, that the king, uh, as Nehemiah heard that his nation, uh, the capital of the nation, was in ruins. As he heard that Jerusalem was in great distress, he wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed to God, God, give me favor and restore Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah goes to the king and he says, can you give me a leave of absence? And he's not just talking about a weekend off. He's talking about years off from the job. And he not only asks for some time to go and do this job, but he says, can you give me resources as well? And so the king agrees to give him letters to take to different people who have resources. And so Nehemiah is granted extraordinary favor before the king. And this is where we're picking up the story. So we're going to be in verses uh, eight and, uh, sorry, 9 and 10 of chapter 2, and then we're going to read on a little while uh, later on as well. So I went to the governors. This is Nehemiah speaking. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. That's amazing, right? So not only is the king giving him these letters, he's sent good men with him as well. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So... Nehemiah sets off on the journey from Susa to Jerusalem. This was hundreds and hundreds of miles. Historians think it would have taken months for him to make that journey. And it would have been, even with cavalry, it would have been arduous. It wouldn't have been comfortable. There would have been uncomfortable conditions to endure in the heat of the day and in the freezing cold temperatures at night. This would not have been a comfortable journey for Nehemiah. And I want you just to imagine for a moment, God has stirred his heart. God had broken his heart, really, for Jerusalem. And Nehemiah's got in his heart this burning passion to see uh, Jerusalem restored. He's got this burning passion for God's purposes in the world. And yet he sets out on this journey that's hundreds of miles long. Can you imagine that at times doubt might have crept in? That he might have asked himself, is this really worth the effort? Is it, I, mean, I mean, I'm in a pretty comfortable job where I am. I've got the ear of the king. 
Is it really worth the effort of the, 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 the journeying every single day? Or maybe he started to doubt his own ability. Have I really got what it takes? Have I really got what it takes to, to lead something in Jerusalem, to see the city restored? He would have been, I'm sure at times, doubting. And yet there's something in his heart that just won't go away. There's something in his heart, this passion that's burning within that he cannot let go of. He cannot kind of, it just won't die out. He must continue. He's burning with passion for God's purposes. He's burning with a heart for God. Friends, I, I pray this for myself. I pray this for us as a church that we would burn within for the purposes of God in the world that that would be our big passion, that no matter what the cost, no matter what the obstacles in our way, no matter the journey that we might go on, that ultimately our lives will be fueled by, I want to see God's purposes thriving. I want to see his name made great. I want people to know him and that we might be burning with a passion. Do you want that for yourself? I, I want that for myself. I want it increasingly. I want to be like Nehemiah here, who's nothing is deterring him from the mission that God's put in his heart, that we might burn and be burdened with, um, with, with compassion and, and, a, and a heart for our town, that as we look around it, we see, God, we need you to move here, that we'll be, be burning within for, for a passion, with a passion to see our nation, the ruins of our nation built up again, that our nation would, would turn en masse to God. That's, I want us to burn with that in our hearts. I think God wants us to burn with that in our hearts, that we would burn within for the church, and the church in this nation in so many places, not as it is supposed to be, running scared and just not looking anything different to the world around, that we would be a people who burn within for some things, that we can't just kind of put it to one side and say, I'm going to do something else with my life. But actually, ultimately, we are, we are on fire for what God wants for us. I want that for our church. I pray that for our church. But we see here that Nehemiah he learns of some opposition there's this guy called Sanballat, whose name literally means hidden enemy. Imagine having that discussion at a dinner table. What does your name mean? It means hidden enemy. I think that would be the last time you'd invite them over, hey? Sanballat, he's, he's, he's opposing Nehemiah's purposes. Listen, when we set out with fire in our hearts to see God's purposes advance in the world, we will meet opposition. We will know some people opposing us even if we behave in an exemplary and godly way. We might be opposed because we behave in an ungodly way, and we, we don't want that. But even if we are exemplary and, and like Jesus in our character, we will be opposed. Because Jesus lived the perfect life, and he ended up being crucified. There will be those that oppose the church. There will be those that, that are quite happy with a church that does cake sales, and nothing else. Very, very happy for those kinds of churches to continue. But they won't be happy with a church that actually has a message and has a burning passion to see others come to know God. There will be people who say, no, no, we're not having that. We're not having that here. And who will bring opposition. There will be those that will persecute. It says in uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 that those who wish to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if you want to live for Jesus, there will come opposition. We just settle that in our hearts. We're not going to be liked by everyone. We can't be liked by everyone. In fact, Jesus says, woe to you, <clears throat> in Luke chapter 6, woe to you 
when all men speak well of you. Like, that's not a good thing when everyone speaks well of you. Just, just be aware. If, every, if everyone's singing your praises, you're probably not in the purposes of God. We don't go out of our way looking for trouble. Okay, some Christians sometimes do that. They want to just get in a fight with someone online or whatever. We don't do that. But we have to be aware that, that there will come opposition. We, we, we're not going to just be praised and thanked by everyone for what we're doing in this town. Or what we're seeking to see God do in our nation or the nations. There will come opposition. People like Sambalat who will say, no, I'm not happy with what you're doing. But Nehemiah, as we see, he could have been deterred by this. He could have been deterred as he heard of Ammonite, the official, the Ammonite official. You know, that sounds quite important, doesn't it? He could have been deterred by these things, but he continues, as we'll see. Verse 11, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I hadn't told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me, that's no horses, except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews, or the priests, or nobles, or officials, or any others who would be doing the work. And then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. We'll pause it there and we'll read some more in just a moment. So we see Nehemiah, he's not, he's not deterred by this opposition, but he is wise. And so he takes a small team into the city at night because there could have been people out to get him. Could have been people out to stop him from even getting anything started. So he takes a team into the city at night to survey the damage, to see what's gone on here. And they go to and fro across the city, just taking in the sights. Just want you to just to picture this for a moment. Just maybe even picture Ipswich. It's just been damaged by fire. Our enemy armies have absolutely ravaged it. And you're just looking around at sites that you were once familiar with. And for different ones of us, different things would break our hearts. Different memories would come to our mind. And there's this team here. They're looking at where the fountain once was. And some are weeping at the beauty of what was there is now gone. And some are thinking of the king's pool. They can't even access it because there's just rubble everywhere. And some are just looking at the walls thinking, man, these, these are no good. They're not going to keep anyone out. And there's different ones that move by, by different things that they see. God sometimes burdens us with, with, with different things as we, as we take in what is going on in the world around us. He sometimes uh, puts in our hearts some things that we can't shake off as we, as we kind of assess what is going on in the world. This is what's happening here. God's, God's putting some things in their hearts and they come to this conclusion. It's, it's ruined. It's in disgrace. It's, it's, it's dire. There's, nothing, there's no way they can sugarcoat it. 
There's no way of looking at it and thinking, well, at least that survived. At least that road's still there. At least the valley gate is still there. No, no, they're absolutely ruined. They're moved by the plight of Jerusalem. Friends, I long for us to be moved. I long for myself to be more and more moved by the plight of our town. As I look around those who are lost, as I look around those who are broken in so many ways, as I look around our nation and think, God, this is not right. There's not many ways of sugarcoating it, really. These guys are moved by what they see. And friends, we've, we've actually got to, to pay attention to our hearts in this. We've actually got to, to listen into our hearts on this just for a moment to see what it is that, that burdens us. To ask, what is it that God has put within our hearts? I wouldn't normally say, listen to your heart, because that's kind of like a lot of Disney nonsense, all right? But, but there are times when we're, when we're prayerful people, when we're saying, God, lead me, guide me, give me your compassion, there are some things that we need to actually listen into and think, why am I extraordinarily moved by that thing? Why am I moved by that particular area of poverty? Why am I moved by people who, who are elderly and lonely? Why am I moved by, by children who don't have families? Why am I moved by people with this particular disability? Why, why am I so ruined by uh, the, the stories I hear of teenagers getting caught up in all kinds of mess? It's actually, if we're, if we're prayerful people, if we're saying, God, shape me, change me, lead me, it's actually okay to... Uh, Listen in on your heart and think, okay, why, why am I gripped by this? When I see this news report, or when I hear of this news, or when I see this in my street, or when I see this in the town, what is going on here? Is, is God stirring me for a particular action? You see, Nehemiah was really stirred here. His friends were stirred as they looked around the ruins. There was something going on in their hearts. Maybe God was revealing something to them. There's a guy called Craig Groeschel, who's a pastor in the States, and he says this, the burden you bear often reveals the calling you'll embrace. I think there's something in that. Sometimes there's a burden that you cannot shake off. And maybe it's God saying, actually, there's something here for you to walk in. There's some action that you need to take. There's some things that you need to get a hold of in prayer and then take action. So maybe you're moved by some things. Just consider what it is for a minute. What is it that you're moved by? Maybe you're not moved by much. As I said the other day, we're sometimes so oversaturated with bad news that sometimes it can feel like I don't even, I'm not even moved by anything anymore. But are we those that are saying, God, lead me, guide me, show me? We actually have to listen in to what our heart's response is to some things. and think, is there something for me to do here? Now, I, I absolutely believe that people's wise counsel is really a big part of this as well. To ask wise people, what do you see in me? What do you think I should be giving my time and attention to? I think prophetic ministry is really important, where, where people speak over you what they feel God is, is laying on their heart for you. I think that is for today and is really necessary. But there can be sometimes something that, that we're burdened by that we just don't understand why. And maybe God's speaking to us through that. There's no, there's no burden too big <laughs> for God's heart. No, There's nothing too small for his heart. There's nothing that's... that's uh, out of his reach in terms of his power. We sung of his might this morning. So listen to that. What, what was their response here? It's let us arise and build. When they look at the, the state of Jerusalem, they say, let us arise and build. That's a good response, isn't it? 
It's not, someone should really do something about this. <laughs> Look at all this ruins. It's, there. it's terrible. Where's the government at? Where's the local council at? Where are they? You know, we, we're quite used to blaming the government, aren't we? <laughs> Blame the government for the state of this or the state of that. We, we often uh, kind of think, well, it's, it's their job. We pay our taxes. They've got to sort this. Or we might blame our upbringings. Oh, I haven't really got the resources to deal with this. I haven't got the skills because I wasn't really raised very well. We can blame other people or, or deflect and say, someone should do something about this. And I, I love this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes from an American uh, comedian called Lily Tomlin. She says, I always wondered why somebody doesn't do something about that. Then I realized I was somebody. Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit within you. He has gifted you. He's given you community to walk with. You are somebody. You can do something. You don't have to be passive and thinking, think, well, it needs probably to be someone with a title to do this, actually. Someone who's got, you know, an elder or a pastor or a deacon or a whatever. No, no, no. You have been gifted by God. Nehemiah didn't really have a title, did he? He was the cupbearer. He wasn't some kind of master builder. He wasn't some government official. He was a cupbearer. And he said, we've got to do something about this. Let us arise and build. When we see the, the plight of our town, when we see the plight of our nation, when we see that the church is in ruin in so many places, we can be those that say, let us arise and build. Not well, hopefully someone else will arise and build. Not, not hopefully, you know, God will call someone else. No, no, we need to be those who say, God, I trust that you've got things for me to walk in in this. The Apostle Paul, one of the, the main uh, writers and leaders in the New Testament, he was convinced of this, that we are God's workmanship. We've been created anew in Christ. This is what it says in Ephesians 2, that we might uh, walk in the works that he has planned for us. He's got some things planned for you to walk in. He's got some things for you to do. He's got a part for you to play. He's got a part for me to play. And Paul himself was gripped by this. In Philippians 3, he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. There were some things that he understood. Jesus has got a hold of me. And, and I'm going I'm to take a hold of those things and I'm going to walk in them. Do you understand that? Jesus has taken a hold of you. It's not just that your sins have been forgiven and your conscience cleansed and you've been brought into the family of God. No, he's taken a hold of you for purpose. He's got some things for you to do. Your, your story may not be half as dramatic as Paul's. It may not be that you were a murderous, uh, anti-Christian terrorist who had this dramatic conversion. It may be nothing like that. But he's got things for you to do. He's got works for you to walk in. He's got walls for you to build up. He's got things for you to do. He's got people for you to reach. This is your destiny. This is my destiny. We've been brought in and we all get to play. It's not like God's saying, right, I've saved you. Go and sit on the bench now. He wants us to play a part in his mission in the world. This is for each one of us. He's up to some great things in the world. We get to play a part. It's not like we're, we're longing to have our names on, uh, on plaques or people write biographies about us. No, we're living that the purposes of God may advance in the world. That there may be one or two or five or ten or twenty or a hundred or a thousand more people in eternity with Jesus with us because of the things that he's leading us to do. That's what we're here for. 
That's what we're in this for. He saved us for good purposes. He saved us for works. We want to be gripped by this. This will require tears as it would have done for Nehemiah and his friends. This will require sacrifice. It will require all of us saying, let us arise and build. Not being passive. Not saying, I I hope someone else will do something about this. So what are you stirred by? Are you stirred by some of the things I mentioned? What might it look like? So I'm going to take a, a step forward in this now. It might be you're stirred by the plight of refugees in our town. Well, we've got a number of things you can be involved with. It might be that you're stirred by the next generation coming up and you think, how on earth are they going to survive in this atmosphere that is so anti-Jesus, anti-faith? How are they going to thrive in this? You can, you can pray and then maybe you can get involved in the children's work or the youth work. You can say, I want to step up and play my part. It might be you, you have this burden when you hear of a marriage breaking up that you are just in pieces. What's God doing there? Maybe that you've got a part to play in supporting, strengthening marriages. It may be that you can just offer, I want to sit for you and your children so you can go out and have a nice time together. Or I might go to the elders and say, hey guys, I've got a burden to pray for marriages. Is there anything I can do? Can I help counsel some people? I've been married for 40 years or whatever, and I can help counsel some people with some things that we learned. It might be that you've got this burden for a particular uh, people group in the church, and you think, I want to help them get knitted in. What can you do? I can, I can invite them to my house for dinner. I can say, come on over. I can invite some other people in so that we can knit people in well. It might be that you, you hate it when people um, are left on their own on a Sunday. You just, you've got this burden. I don't want people to just be on their own, feeling kind of like lost in a sea of faces. It might be say, I want to get involved in the welcome team. I want to be someone who really seeks those people out and gives them a good welcome. I don't know what it is for you, but what's the next step? How is God burdening you? What's the next step? Well, certainly it's to pray, as Nehemiah did. But what's the next step that you might walk into? Let's read on, shall we, in this story. We're just going to read the last uh, couple of verses of Nehemiah chapter 2. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, there's another guy involved now as well, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants, and we'll start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So there's yet another person joining in the mockery and the opposition. And as we go forward in this book to chapters 4 to 7, it ramps up to a whole nother level. Are we, are we settled on this, friends? Opposition will come. Are we settled on the fact that we won't be able to live out the purposes of God in our lives without opposition and repeated opposition. Are we clear on this? Are we settled on the fact that we're never really going to be cool in the eyes of everyone? You know, when I was a child, I, I, I think I've shared this before, I longed for you know, a famous person to become a Christian. If only my favorite footballer became a Christian, then it would legitimize my faith. I was watching rugby with my, my son last night, and uh, we were watching South Africa. I said, oh, you know, you know, Sia Colosi, the, uh, Colisi, rather, the, the captain of South Africa, he's a, he's a born-again, committed Christian. And that was good for my son, who's eight. That's cool for him, right? But the reality is, 
no matter how many famous people become Christians, you're not going to be cool in the eyes of everyone. And, and ridicule is particularly painful, isn't it? When we're mocked, because we, in our hearts, we so want to be liked by everyone. We so want to be admired by everyone. We've got to deal with this in our hearts. We've got to say, God, yours is the opinion that really matters. Yours is the one that really matters. Help me to see you as very large. Help me to see everyone else's opinion as very small. It's, as we come together, as we have in worship today, we, we behold God for who he is. It's when we understand that he is, his opinion is, is far better, is far more important than the opinion of the Sanballats of this world who would mock, who would throw out abuse, who would question. We've got to settle this in our hearts, friends. And Nehemiah says this, the God of heaven will give us success. He's already said the gracious hand of God is upon us. This is such a key thing we need to understand. Nehemiah could look to the history of his people, the Jewish people, to see that the gracious hand of God had been upon them as he had taken them through challenge after challenge. But he could look to his own situation just in the previous months to say, the gracious hand of God is upon me because the king has not only given me time away from work, he's given me men and cavalry, he's given me letters to get loads of resources. God is with us, is what he's saying. Hope Church, we have even more reason to believe that God is with us because we have the history of God's people in the Bible. We have our own personal history of the way God has treated us as a church over the years, but we also have the cross. And this is such a big thing we need to take on board, guys. We have the cross of Jesus Christ. So we can look to our own history. We can see, yes, he's come through for us again and again. He's provided for us. He's given us all we've needed. But we can ultimately look to the cross where Jesus, the greater Nehemiah, entered Jerusalem. And unlike Nehemiah, who, who actually is accepted by the people there, Jesus was rejected by the people in Jerusalem. It says in the beginning of John's gospel that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to Jerusalem, and the people didn't receive him. He came to his own people, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we can, friends, as we look to the cross, we can see that what was going on there was not just a guy who had been misunderstood or you know, opposed unfairly, but actually a, a plan of God whereby all that we have done wrong, all that we've thought wrong, all that we've said that was evil, could actually be taken away from us, placed upon Jesus on the cross. That as we heard from Tommy a moment ago, that he took all of that into the grave with him, broke the power of sin, and he rose again. This greater Nehemiah, he, he was opposed by the people. He went to the cross. He took our sin and our shame, and he rose again. And it's as we look to him, as we look to Jesus, we can say, the gracious hand of God is on my life. The gracious hand of God is upon us because he hasn't spared from us our greatest need. We needed forgiveness. We needed freedom from our sin, and he has provided at great cost to himself. And so we can look at the cross and we can say, 
the gracious hand of God is upon us. The gracious hand of God is upon us as a church, Hope Church. It's incredible what God has done amongst us in these last eight, nine, ten years. But the gracious hand of God is upon us for more. Because there's nothing that uh, we need in the years to come that he hasn't already provided far greater than. Because he's provided at the cross. Jesus is the one who's about the work, ultimately. He's the, the, the greater Nehemiah who we say, Jesus, we get in with what you're doing. Just as the people aligned themselves with Nehemiah, said, yeah, okay, let's arise up and build. So Jesus is building something in the world. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Do you know Jesus is building something in the world right now? And because he's building something in the world, no earthly power, no uh, spiritual power can tear it down. What he is building in the world cannot be ruined by fire. It cannot be torn down. We heard last week, God is up to something amazing in Iran right now, where, where the opposition is so great. It's not a snarky comment on Facebook. It's not a, 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 a slight comment of mockery from a sandbala of this world. It's death or imprisonment. And God is saving thousands of people in that nation. He's doing it. As I was in Latvia last week, I, I was in one of the church buildings there, and they had a gallery of the former pastors of the church. We're not going to get one here. And they had, the, uh, they had a gallery, and it stopped. There was no pastor for 50 years. Because in 1940, the Soviets took over, and that was the end of the established church there. That was, they were not going to allow them to meet. They turned the building into a gym and a firing range. 1991, there's another pastor. <laughs> because believers have been meeting all along that time. It wasn't just suddenly that they just appeared. No, the church was not to be squashed. And now God's doing great, mighty things that we can see. But he's always up to something. He's always up. To, he's always building his church, friends. And nothing can oppose it. So we say, like the people around them, I say, Jesus, we want to get in on what you're building in the world. Do you want that for your life? We rise up and build, friends. Let us pray, shall we? And then we're going to sing in response. We're going to say, God, stir our hearts. Let's stand together. Let's just lift our hands to him. He's here amongst us. We're so, so grateful, Father, that we could just know you near to us today. So grateful that even as we've sung today, we've known you're here. And so, Father, we, we thank you. We don't have to twist your arm and say, come and be amongst us. No, no, you're dwelling amongst your people even now. And, Lord, we, we want to just uh, ask you, Father, would you come and put something in our hearts? Put something in our hearts today. Lord, we open our hearts up to you. Lord, to you, our hearts are open. Lord, come and have your way. We've sung it already this morning. Come and have your way amongst us. Friends, why don't you just say that to God? Come and have your way in my heart. Come and do in my heart what you want to do. Come and stir me. Come and stir me for the plight of my town. Come and stir me for the plight of another town. Put another nation or another city or another town in my heart that I can't shake off. 
put people groups in our hearts, Lord. Stir our hearts that we might be those that burn with passion for you, ultimately. Passion for your cause. Passion for what you're doing in the world. Come and do it in our hearts, Lord, I pray. Lord, we want to be those that are undeterred by mockery, undeterred by opposition. Lord, we know it's going to come. But we say, Lord, it's you that we're living for. We're not living for the praises of men. We're not, um, we're not living that people will pat us on the back and speak well of us. We're living for you, Lord. Why don't you just say that to him? I'm living for you. Just tell him. I'm living for you, Lord. I'm living for your glory. This is not about my reputation. I'm not living that people would write books about me. I'm not living that people might post about me. I'm living for you, Lord. And that might mean opposition, but I, I trust you. I trust that you're going to give me everything I need. Just speak to him now where you are. Let's not be passive here. Lord, I want to live for you. Lord, would you show me the places you want me to come and play a part in rebuilding? Would you show me? Why don't you tell him, Lord, would you show me? Lord, I want to be led by you. Speak to me, Lord. Let's, let's just pour our hearts to him now. <laughs> that might mean it gets a little noisy in here, but let's just say, Lord, I want you to speak to me. Lord, I want to live for you. I want to honor you. I want to rebuild the places that are ruined. I want to see people's lives transformed by you, Lord. I want to see a young generation living for you, discipled well. I want to see a, 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 an older generation brought into community and living for your purposes. I want to see the poor served well. I want to see the poor cared for and uh, given a seat at the table. I want to see that the, those that are uh, outcasts brought in. I want to see your church shining bright, Lord. I don't want your church to be in disgrace or in ruins. I want your church to be shining bright. I want your church to arise and build, Lord. Just tell him what you want him to do. Friends, speak to him where you are. Come and move in our church, Lord. Would you even stir some, Lord, here to say, God has put a vision for his church in my heart and I'm, I'm going to give my life to serving others in the church. I believe he's going to put on, some, on the hearts of some even church planting. And he's going to develop that in your heart in the months to come. Please speak with us when he does that. We want to help you. We want to prepare you well. There's some here that you just know. God's gifted you in certain ways and you've just been hiding it under a, under a basket. There's some things that he's going to bring forward in you. God, thank you that you're here. Please stir hearts, Lord. Before we sing, is there anyone here today and I'm going to ask you to be very bold by raising your hand. Is there anyone here today, you just know, I need to give my life to Jesus. 
People aren't going to be turning around, having a look around and being nosy. <laughs> Is there anyone here just by way of, I just need to give my life to Jesus. Wonderful. Thank you. Wonderful. There's a few. Anyone else? Is there anyone else today? I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to surrender my life to him. Nice and high for me. If, you, if, you, if that's you, just raise your hand nice and high. It's a step of faith to do this. So I'm going to receive Jesus. I'm going to believe in his name. I'm going to become a child of God. Let me lead you in a prayer that you might want to pray now. Lord, I am sorry for the many things that I've got wrong. I've rebelled against you. And I thank you that you have made a way for me to be forgiven by your work on the cross. Thank you that I get now to become a child of God. Please take me on an adventure with you for the rest of my days, that I would know you more and more and more. Amen.